as I was reading about, reading through the passage and thinking about waiting and some of my own experiences of waiting, there were several humorous things that came to my mind. These are the easier ones to talk about than the truth of how I don't exactly wait very well. But uh, in 2020, in October of 2020, my family gathered in Texas for my son's wedding. There was something else going on at that time. Uh, you know it was COVID. That's not what I'm referring to. But Major League Baseball was hosting the National League Championship Series in, Ar in uh, not Arlington, yeah, in Arlington. And the Dodgers were playing the Braves. I'm a lifelong Dodgers fan, so with all due respect to Pastor Logan, who's clearly deceived and, and wrong. <laughs> but one of the things you realize as parents, we pass things on to our kids, don't we? And we love it when we pass the good stuff on. But every once in a while, we can see in our children the things that we've passed on that, let's, quite, let's be honest, aren't quite good things. Character flaws, if you will. Sometimes I think they're DNA. Sometimes I think it's the nurture that we give our kids. We teach them, we model for them the things we don't want to see. Well, we were able, and this is amazing, we were able to go to games two, three, four, and five. Now, I won't bore you with all the details of what happened. It was a seven-game series. Game four, the Dodgers got smoked. They're down three games to one. My youngest son was with me and my son's father-in-law. We were driving home from the game and he was absolutely despondent. I mean, he was beside himself. He was saying things like, why do I do this to myself? Why do I put my hope in this team and they, they keep letting me down? He didn't have the perspective I had. You see, I remember as a kid, the 77 and 78 World Series, the Dodgers lost to the Yankees. And I also remember the 81 and 88 World Series where the Dodgers beat the Yankees in 81 and then this really underdog team in 88 both beat both the Mets in the championship series and then the powerful A's in the World Series. So I knew there's always hope, and yes, there's always next year. But from his experience, he had never seen it. He didn't have a reference point for it. And from his experience of life, it was always going to be this way. Can I say that again? From his experience of life, it was always going to be failure. So why bother? Why bother holding on to this lame hope that one day my team might win? Now, I know that that's a pretty safe thing to talk about publicly because in the end, sports is just a distraction to the real things of life. But we learn a lot when we look at our hobbies because hobbies teach us about life. I was thinking about it. I spent the last couple days with Saif who just read the scripture for us and, and he works with wood. And I was thinking to myself, I do not have the patience to work with wood. The patience that's required to see the big picture and take the time to perfect the, the imperfections and be patient to shape an outcome. I'm like, I want the finished product now. Because after all, I am a product of this culture. How about you? Do you know that you live in a culture that loathes waiting? You live in a culture that is literally perfecting instant gratification. And it has been for decades. 
You can think after World War II, one of the first advents of not having to wait anymore, if you ever watched the documentary on McDonald's, the advent of fast food. I still remember as a kid, it wasn't good enough to go in and get fast food, then you can drive through. Now as I sit in my Starbucks to study in the mornings back in my hometown, my new hometown, uh, people don't even have to do that anymore, they just mobile order, they walk in, pick it up, don't have to wait in line, don't have to talk to anybody. And I could go on and on. It reminds me as a kid that when I was eight, I couldn't wait to be 10 so I could play in the major division of Little League Baseball. When I was 10, I couldn't wait to be 16 so I could drive. When I was 16, I couldn't wait to be almost 18 because that meant I would graduate from high school. And when I was almost 18, I couldn't wait to be 21 because, well, you know what. <laughs> when I was single, I couldn't wait to be married. When I was married, I couldn't wait to be, have kids. Once I had kids, I couldn't wait for him to leave the house. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And when you think about God, we're told this truth. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In fact, God is outside of time. He's the creator of time. But we are solidly inside of it. Many of us will fall into the trap of wanting to live in the past. Many others will fall in the trap of wanting to live someday that's not yet. But the place that we exist is right now. Right here. It's a temporal reality. And it's, it's a reality of time. We are here and nowhere else. Even when we want to escape and be somewhere else. If I were to get brutally honest with you, I could share with you my failures, not just in the past, but in the present of not being able to wait. I don't do very well with anxiety. The ways that I have constantly comforted myself, it's, this is a socially acceptable one, all the way back to the time when my parents were getting divorced as a little boy, I learned to comfort the craziness of life with sugary and fattening foods. When I was younger, it wasn't a problem. As I've gotten older, well, you can see. It's a lifetime battle because I didn't learn how to wait at that time on God. We're told in this passage some truth that I want you to hear, and I want you to hear this as we head into it. There is no abiding in Christ without waiting. In fact, as you read the witness of Scripture, waiting is the primary posture of God's faithful people. Think about the very beginning of the story. All the way back to the beginning was to wait on God's promises. Abraham and Sarah were called to wait on God's promises, weren't they? But they took matters into their own hands. We also see some positive examples of waiting. One of my favorites comes in the nativity story. Simeon and Anna waiting patiently in the courts for the presentation of the Messiah, a little infant child that they were waiting on. So think about this idea. Abiding is actively clinging to. 
It is the posture of waiting. It's not a passive activity. It's an active, willful choice. I choose to wait because there's something better. The three examples in the passage are pretty plain and in front of us. You have the farmer that James talks about. He talks about the prophet, and he talks about Job. Right? I've known lots of farmers in my life. You heard that uh, I grew up in Southern California where I didn't meet any farmers, lived in the concrete jungle. But then I moved to Northwest Iowa into the land of corn and beans, and I met lots of farmers. There's a handful of farmers here, and I know you. You're being celebrated in this passage, but don't get a big head. I know lots of farmers, they don't wait very well. In fact, they grumble quite a bit sometimes. In Northwest Iowa, it was always, when is that rain going to come? But as you can see, the point that James is trying to get to, he's not looking at the negative side of the farmer. He's looking at the positive side of the farmer. And he's reminding us that the farmer teaches us that we must learn how to wait on how God has designed things. The farmer learns to read the signs of the season. Now we have all this equipment that tells us when to do certain things. When to be prepared. You know, Jesus talks about uh, the farmer as well, reading the signs of the time and preparing in advance so the farmer can have a harvest. The farmer knows what my mama always said. This winter, this too shall pass. Right? The farmer knows that spring is on the way. The farmer knows if you have a dry season, that doesn't mean it's going to be a dry season next year because of the way God has designed the rhythms of his creation. Now, like a lot of things in life, that's not just true in a physical world sense, but it's also true in a spiritual and emotional sense as well. There are laws to the universe. And waiting on God's spiritual laws is what we're called to do. There's a time and a place for everything. For example, one of the things that is very common in our culture, how should I learn to express intimacy with another person? There are laws and times in place for that. And we're called to wait. Even after we get married, we're called to wait. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7 about taking a time away as married couple to pray and focus on our relationship with Christ and to wait and then to come back together again. In the scripture, from beginning to end, we are taught that instant gratification is not the place where we meet the Lord. It's in waiting on God's promises, waiting on his fulfillment. And that's what the prophets teach us. When you think about the prophets in the scripture, the prophets teach us that we must learn to wait on those promises, to abide in those promises, because promises are the hope of what is to come, but they are the not yet. The prophets show us as well that they didn't get to see the fullness of what they were hoping in. Think about what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, he, and that's, it's referring to Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living as t in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then it says this in verse 10, for he, Abraham, 
was looking forward to the city whose foundations are from the Lord. We just sang that song this morning, this new song that you're singing. We are looking forward to a city of grace, but not just out there someday, but actually introducing it in the midst of our living together. What grace looks like as we abide as a people, as a witness to this world that does not know how to wait. We experience grace and power from the Holy Spirit as we wait on the promises of God. But then there's the last one who's extremely challenging, and it's the witness of Job. And Job teaches us that there's something bigger than us going on, and we need to trust that God knows what he's doing, and it's not random. A lot of people get frustrated reading the book of Job because it's poetry, but let me give you a basic overview. Job's had it pretty good. In fact, better than most. In fact, maybe better than anybody who's ever lived. And then everything's taken away in an instant. What we know from reading the story is that there's a cosmic battle taking place. But Job doesn't know that. He's in the midst of this temporal world that you and I re reside in. He can't see the spirit world and what's taking place. He's befuddled by what's happening. It, it feels completely unjust. Has anyone ever felt that way? To wait on God's justice? To wait on things being made right? And, and quite frankly, we're told, not just from practical experience, but from the word of God, we may not see true justice in this life, but trust me, there will be justice. Nobody escapes this rock getting away with anything. Let me give you the basics of when Christ returns, because he's coming again. We're all going to rise, and we're all going to face judgment, period. Now, the good news for those of us who've hoped in Christ is our judgment has already been nailed to the cross. That's what I hope in. That's where I place my hope. There's no merit in me to receive justice. So I remember this as I look at this teaching of Job, and, and Job had three things he held on to. It was only three things. He said, I know for a fact there's an intercessor, someone who's praying for me up there. I know for a fact there's someone up there in heaven who can mediate for me, uh, a sinful man with a holy God. And I know, he used this word, redeemer. I know my redeemer lives. And then he said this, Job chapter 19, verse 25. I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that it's a favorite verse of. Then he said, I know my redeemer lives and I shall see him with my own eyes. And he, he held on to those promises. And he models for us prayer. He didn't do it perfectly, but he was verbalizing. You can actually read a lot of Job's dialogue as verbal vomit. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? If you read the Psalms, do you realize that a lot of the Psalms is verbal vomit? It's getting the poison out of your soul. So many times the Psalms remind us of this truth that we have to verbalize, where are you, oh God? I can't wait for you anymore. I'm thirsty. I'm dry. Like in a parched desert. There is absolute truth about prayer in the book of Job and and in the book of Psalms, there's not this Christian polite platitudes we often give each other, but raw honesty. And this truth that says, I am struggling right here. But here's the other part of Job. If you read to the end, you know that God shows up. And here's my summary of Job's statement at the end. 
God says to Job, were you there? And then he lectures them. I always thought, that's the perfect lecture for a teenage child right there. Were you there? No. And then Job finally goes, here, here it is, one word, you ready? Oops. I shouldn't have opened my mouth. And what we learn from Job, right along with the prophets, because Job is one of the prophets in a sense, is we have to hold on to the promises and hold loosely what we don't understand. If any of you have a recovery background, this is the serenity prayer in its basic form. God, help me to have the serenity, the peace, to accept the things I cannot change. How many of you realize you really can't change very much? In fact, you can't change anything. And then the courage to change the things I can. How many of you recognize that the courage to change the things I can really boils down to you? Not trying to change others. And then the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference between what I hold on to and what I hold loosely. There's so much in this passage, and I want to walk through it in a practical way just so we can, we can realize it and, and catch on to it. That remember while you're waiting, as you heard in this passage already talked about, you're not alone. You're not alone. The scriptures are a witness of those who have waited with you. In fact, if I read to the next chapter after what we read in Hebrews, we're told that we are surrounded by what? A great cloud of witnesses. And what the writer is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that in a temporal sense, we are surrounded because we are part of the body. In fact, the best waiting is done, not alone, but in community. We need each other. I just was at a retreat this past weekend with a pastor who once upon a time in his life journey lost his mother, his wife, and one of his children in the same auto accident. And he talked about the only way that he survived that time of waiting. And those of you who are going through grief or have gone through grief, you know exactly what I'm gonna say next. The only way he survived that time of waiting until he wouldn't wake up every day and every moment thinking about them was by being immersed in a community that sang for him that read scripture for him, that prayed for him. And yes, I know some of you have some Dutch background. When I was in Northwest Iowa, Dutchmen loved to bring casseroles. <laughs> and fed him when he couldn't feed himself. Literally and figuratively. We are not alone, are we? But there's more than that, my friends. We're not alone because all the great faithful saints are around the throne of grace. We're told in the book of Revelation that those who persevered to the end are worshiping the Lamb of God. That's who I want to be. How about you? Here's the other thing in this passage, and if you read the witness of Job, for example, and the prophets and all the rest of them, the scriptures, the Bible from beginning to end is honest. Jesus is honest. And he tells us that waiting will be hard. Because this world has fallen. It's not going to be easy. These I want to be careful because I always try to speak positively about other 
pastors and other ministries. But if you tune into TV and you, you hear someone telling you that if you believe in Christ, it should be easy street, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's a false gospel. Trust me, I'm not a fan of pain and suffering. But the truth is, this world is not our home. We're not meant to be at home in it. We are aliens and strangers passing through this land. There will be seasons where it's easier than other times. But any of you who've lived any amount of time know that to live any length of age is to experience loss, to struggle with temptation, to not see resolution of things you hoped for. It's a difficult thing, right? Now here's the good news. As you wait and you remember, remember that there's a reward for those who wait. Now I hesitate to say this because I just got done lambasting the, you know, the, the prosperity gospel people, but here what the scripture actually teaches is the reward. In Matthew 24, it says this, verse 13, these are, these are the, on the lips of Jesus, the one who endures, the one who waits patiently to the end will be saved. The one who continues to abide will be saved. And here's the reward. I want to read this because I wrote, I had to take time to write this because I wanted everyone to hear clearly what I meant. And, and for my own edification, because I told you, remember, I'm with you. I'm not good at waiting. I am, a, I am a child of this culture to the nth degree. The reward, I believe, is not the reward we expect in our impatience. It's the reward we receive that we never expected in the first place. For example, rather than waiting with longing for an early possession, as we wait, we realize that the thing we desire is not desirable after all. Has anyone with the wisdom of age experienced this? To my point, do you still desire the same things materially speaking as an adult that you desired as a child? No. You outgrow that. Perhaps the best reward is that we train the flesh that it's not in charge. And that's exactly the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when he says these words. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present age or this time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen, whatever you think you're giving up in this age is nothing compared to what's to come. You won't lose anything here that Jesus can't give back a hundred fold and more so it's worth the wait now there are some warnings in the passage about waiting as well the first one is this keep working don't stop working Now the farmer needs to keep working in the expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises according to the way he's designed things right we should do no less and the scripture also tells us stories of Christians who stopped everything waiting for the Lord's return. They were the Thessalonians. They expected the Lord's immediate, imminent return, so they stopped working, pulled up lawn chairs literally on the ceilings of their house, on the roofs of their houses, and they were waiting for the Lord's return, and it brought disrepute to the witness of Christ. So even if we have an expectation of the imminent return of Christ, and I will not deny that there appear to be some signs of that, 
we're still called to work to the very end. Because it is a witness to an unbelieving world, but it's also a witness to those who are faint of heart. I want to be found working on the day that Jesus returns. So Sipe, with all due respect, not retired. And neither are you. Are you, brother? Just like we were talking about. The next warning is don't grumble. When people are in pain, when they're experiencing difficulty, they complain against God and they complain against others. In fact, in the story of Job, Job's wife finally said, what's the point of this? And cursed Job and left him. He was grumbling. God's not fair. Sometimes we grumble against others because they're getting what we think we deserve. The story, the story of Scripture is filled with that as well. I remember a story about Chuck Colson, the man who had been in the Nixon administration, went to prison, found Christ there, and then founded a ministry called Prison Fellowship. Everyone was waiting for him to be exposed as a fraud, and he never was. Thank God he stayed faithful to the end. He tells a story of waiting in line at an international airport, and I think it was in India, and he didn't know it, but there was a man watching how he waited. And after he watched Chuck Colson patiently wait, after three hours of waiting in a line, he came up to him. He said, I've been watching you. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. My friends, we can't deny that our behavior is a witness to what we believe. Now, the good news is there's grace with the Lord. If we fail, if we fall short, we repent and we renew our commitment to follow Christ. But make no mistake, the world is watching. He didn't grumble, he didn't complain. And finally, the scripture is very clear, don't lose heart. Job almost caved in. If you read the story, he almost caved in. But he endured to the end. I close with this, that if we want to be successful in this, we need to make decisions in advance. So I want to invite you to commit in advance while you're waiting to choose patience. You know, I was in the Navy once upon a time, and I also am a... Uh, regular, not just fan of sports, but participant in sports. I played and I coached. And the same thing happened in the military that, that co good coaches always did, is you practiced and rehearsed the plays in advance so that when you were in the moment of strife, you didn't have to think about what to do. This is why we may have to make decisions in advance so that when we come to that moment, we've already made the decision of how we're going to respond. Trust me, your patience is going to be tested. And if you choose in advance to have patience in that moment, you'll be prepared for it. It won't take you by surprise. I always love that little phrase. It's a little weird theologically, but it's always funny to talk about, right? Don't, don't pray for patience because you know what's going to happen. You're going to get tested. Choose to stand firm. Listen, I believe the unseen promises of God are more real than what my eyes can see. How about you? And then here's the hardest one of all. This passage that we just read, 
reminds us that when we are tested and when we are, when we are called to wait, consider it a blessing. Going back to that pastor I was telling you about who lost his mother, his wife, and his, one of his children in the car accident. He talks about the blessing being this. I met Christ in a new way that I never would have met him. Trust me, I never wanted to meet him that way. But in the midst of my grief, he was there. And it was a blessing. It wasn't better. And by the way, be careful about giving platitudes to people, telling them it, it will get better. You don't know that. But also, it's not necessarily going to be worse. It's going to be different. I've heard too many people talk about tragedy in their life being a blessing that opened them up to experiencing the grace of God in a whole new vista. That I, how, that I have to be reminded that that might as well be true for me too. There's a couple verses that describe how the unbeliever thinks about waiting. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, this is all the way back to the time of Christ. There was a Greek philosophy that Paul is quoting here in 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, what's the major theme of 1 Corinthians 15? Non-pastors, non-elders, anybody out there? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, there are plenty of people not waiting for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not expecting its return. And their motto is, let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow, what's the point? We all are going to die anyway. Does that sound like a philosophy today as well? Why bother waiting? Just do it. Or what this says in 2 Peter verse 3, verse 4, they actually mock us. Where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This Jesus you're hoping in is never coming back. You'll hear it. Especially as you model waiting. I always take interest when a Christian gets pointed out for waiting. In the sports world, it's always when one of those famous athletes is waiting for intimacy until they get married. The world, it bends people's minds. Like, what? But waiting is witness. It is to be the primary posture we're to have as believers in Jesus Christ. We're not alone in our waiting. Certainly not easy. But there is a reward for those who hope in the Lord. There's something greater than the here and now. So what are you waiting on? What are you hoping in? You know, for me, I'm learning, and I'll just be plain here as I close. I'm learning not to try and escape the immediacy of my anxiety and the storm inside my soul by running to things to calm it down and comfort it and numb me out. Your particular experience may be way different than that. But the thing is, to be alive at any time in the history of the world is to wait. And to abide in Christ is to wait with a far-sighted hope on his return and a nearsighted hope that the Holy Spirit will provide all that we need until he returns. 
Let me pray for you. Lord God, as we came in today, we may have even brought in things we didn't even realize we were waiting on. We trust, Holy Spirit, that you stir in the depths of our hearts and souls. Lord, I pray especially for those who are waiting for the craziness to end in their life right now. They're waiting for the time where they can get off this roller coaster. They're waiting, Lord God, for relief from pain and suffering. They're waiting until that time where the companionship can be provided. They're waiting for that time when when things will just be plain different. God, I pray that you would comfort now each one who's waiting with the truth that we've been comforted with from this passage of Scripture. That we can count on how you've designed things. That your promises are true and we can hold on to them. And that even if we don't understand what's going on, there's a grander plan at work. Ground us in this truth, O oh God. And comfort us in the meantime, pray. In the powerful and mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And all who agree said to me.